0: Will you please join me as I pray? Father, thank you. Thanks for these moments set aside week by week to be shaped into the sorts of men and women that you have called us to be. We need a word from the outside to help shape and direct our paths. And so we come to submit ourselves to you and ask, speaking God, speak to us. And I pray that today and in the coming weeks you would shape our collective understanding of our money, and the way that it shapes us, and the way that we want to be the sorts of men and women that operate as faithful, godly stewards of all that you entrust us. So you're welcomed in these moments to come and instruct your children. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, Many of you know that we preached through the book of Daniel recently. And we considered this idea that we are called to be, called to be exiles living in a, the midst of a Babylonian spirit, that we, we live in this space. And, and at the tail end of completing that journey through Daniel, we were praying and thinking about what are some things we want to address uh, in this next season. And, and really this month is about the one-two knockout punch for the Babylonian spirit. This weekend, the men were together with a guy named Ray Ortland addressing the nature of sexual sin. At the end of the month, our women will have a night for women and sexuality. And in the midst of it, we're going to be preaching about money from the Proverbs. Because the Babylonian spirit that has been alive and well throughout the scriptures, throughout history, and even still today is forged in the fires of sex and money. And we want to be the sort of people that are equipped and prepared to live as faithful exiles in that context and so we're going to look at ancient wisdom for modern living as it deals with our money and we're going to allow the proverbs to be our guides to be our guide as it were so a few notes about the book of proverbs as we start to interact with what was a long list of them this morning and what will be a a kind of a, a healthy diet over them over the next month The Proverbs as a genre is wisdom literature, which is not meant to be ironclad promises or provisions of God. They're they're truisms about the way the world works. And so the idea is that the, the authors of the Proverbs are speaking in this way that is broad and clear, saying this is generally how the world works, and this is what it looks like to operate in wisdom. Wisdom being Not less than morality or less than intelligence, but but kind of more. It's knowledge and understanding and morality applied to the real stuff of a gritty life. And so we want to think about that as it relates to our finances, Um, In many ways, reading the Proverbs is like going to the laundromat and you stand in front of one of those dryers and you see the the clothes tumble around, you know, if you watch in one of those spots where you can see as the clothes tumble kind of like this, you you see your favorite blue shirt pass by and then a minute or two, you see it come around again, the Proverbs are written cyclically. They're addressing lots and lots of issues, and they come, and they swirl. There's money, and then there's relationships, and then there's business ethics, and then there's—and they just swirl on one another. And so in order to discern what is wisdom literature saying about a particular topic, we watch it swirl, and we grab it, and then it comes around again in a few chapters, and we grab it, and and then you sit with all of it, and you say, ah— Here's some composite wisdom about this topic. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be drawing from all over the Proverbs to address these topics. A final note is this. There's four general topics that we'll address as it relates to finances from the book of Proverbs. This morning we're going to talk about wealth and how we how we develop a relationship, a proper godly relationship with our finances. Next week, we'll talk about poverty and how we see it and from God's perspective. The third week, we'll talk about generosity, and the last week, contentment. Now, each of those could be talked about every week because they all have interaction with one another. For instance, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on generosity today, though our relationship to our wealth demands a holistic view of generosity. But we're going to wait and let it find its proper context in this conversation. Because, for instance, I think generosity can be a smokescreen if we're not careful. Some would say, uh, well, I don't love money. I'm not into money. I'm just a generous person. And as a result, they don't think critically about how they make and manage their money. That can be a foolish laziness that hides behind what the scriptures say about generosity. But on the other end of the spectrum, there can be a foolish drivenness that hides behind generosity and says, well, if I just write a big check at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how I got that money or how I relate to it, I'm good. But the truth is, God is not a God of the ends, he's a God of the means. How do we get there? And he wants to speak to every step of the process in the way that we interact with our finances. And so today and over the next few weeks, we're going to allow the wisdom literature to speak into that. Starting with this question. How are we to acquire and relate to our money? How are we to acquire it and how are we to relate to it? Okay. Everybody good? We're ready? With that big wind up? Okay. How do we acquire wealth in a way that is godly and wise? The first note that we'd have to make for allowing the Proverbs to speak is this. The way that we gather money in a godly way, the first thing, it has to be patient, not hasty. Patient, not hasty. Let's look back at the first couple of Proverbs that we heard read. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Whoever gathers it little by little will increase it. Every time haste is mentioned in the book of Proverbs, it's equated with folly. Haste means being in a hurry, trying to get it done quickly. This text is saying... Little by little literally means hand by hand. So it's like a little handful by a little handful. How, do I, how am I acquiring wealth? Slowly and patiently, just a handful by a handful. It says, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Or lastly, in Proverbs 28, 25, it says, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. You see, God's design for us is that we would slowly be initiated into a rightful understanding of all that we're entrusted with, that our resources, that we would have a, a, an understanding of the value of a dollar, the value of something that has been given to us by God. His design is hard work, simple living, diligent saving— what this means is, friends, we need to be very skeptical, skeptical of any get-rich-quick schemes. Get-rich-quick schemes are not God's ideal. If the devil is ever giving directions, he always gives them in the same way. Here's the shortcut. That's his directions every time. So if we're asking and all of a sudden what we're getting is shortcut directions rest assured that you cannot trust the voice you're hearing. So this is why we need to be aware of gambling. I know yesterday was the Kentucky Derby. I know that the 80 to 1 odds horse won. I don't know if anybody saw that. Somebody could have made big money on that. That's not God's design for how our, we're managing our finances, right? We got to be aware of gambling, pyramid schemes, that risky deal where someone is convincing you you can't lose you just give me a little bit of money and in a year, it's gonna be a lot of money and you don't have to do anything. Listen, that sort of approach is one that the Proverbs would say, this is not God's design for how you acquire wealth. The acquisition of wealth is intended to be hard work, simple living, diligent saving. I've sat with friends along the way. We, We, can we all just admit if we drew, drew a, you know, a three-mile radius around where we're sitting right now, the vast majority of people that live and work and breathe in that space are a very driven bunch. And I've sat with friends that have said things to me like, I want to be fabulously wealthy and retired by 40. To which I often ask the question, why? Like, can you help me understand what, what's, what's under that? Why this urgency to really quickly get to a finish line and to prop one's feet up? If we, in fact, are made like our identity and our character is forged and developed in good, diligent, hard work, why is there this desire to fast forward to a finish line and to be able to enjoy leisure and luxury? Is this God's design for you? Or is this something that we have hatched in the spirit of Babylon? You see, the, the wisdom literature would start by saying, be patient, take a deep breath. The journey in being forged by self-control and denial and hard work and diligence and planning, that's really good for your soul. So when we talk about the acquisition of wealth, No matter how much we're talking, whatever scale we're talking about in the room, which may be wildly different for different people depending on what seat you're in, the first way that we begin to relate to dollars is let's be patient. Don't be hasty. The second thing that the Proverbs are going to say is this, diligence but not overwork. Diligence but not overwork. I want to read two Proverbs to you that have necessary tension between them. And the way that you know you're beginning to interact with wisdom is that you feel the tension. It feels like it's pulling you in different directions. And in that tension, you're trying to discern what is God's way in my next step while honoring this tension. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 13, and 23, 4, and 5. So, 20, verse 13 says this Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Now, let's just stop and, and sit with that one for a second. What's he saying? He's going, Don't love your snooze button. Don't love sleep. It's okay. It's okay to rest, and we should be a people that engage rest, but rest not as an end in itself, not something to be cherished and treasured, not trying to arrange our lives so that we can engage it as long and as much as possible. He's going, wake up. Open your eyes. Be early to work. If there are words that should describe Christians in the workplace, they should be words like industrious, hardworking, go-getters, Because, let's just think about this for a second. When you show up to work, you're working with all sorts of people that have various motives in that workplace, whatever sort of job you're doing. And the truth is that if you have been rescued by the grace of Jesus, and you're beginning to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, your motives and drive should be situated in such a different and a deeper place than everyone else in that workplace that doesn't share that with you. That if they've showed up To make more money or to build a reputation or to be impressive this is a drive that will motivate but only so far but if you show up and you say today the eyes of God are on me and I get to bring glory to him in the way I do my work this will motivate us as this text says open your eyes get to work and you will never lack bread be the first to work and be ready to work hard We should be diligent and hardworking if God's motives are forging how we're showing up in the workplace. Yet, hear the second one that creates the tension. 23 verse four and five says this, don't toil to acquire wealth. The word for toil means to be out of breath or to be panting, to be exhausted. (sighs) Don't toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. It is gone suddenly it sprouts wings and it flies like an eagle towards heaven he says be industrious and hard-working but don't exhaust yourself so let me ask you a question do you know how to turn it off do you know how to turn it off like does it does it just always keep going that on the on the day that you're supposed to be with family you're fidgety and you got to check the email one more time your your mind is not there my dad has since repented of some of the seasons growing up where i we would know that he was back at work when he started doing this pulling on his bottom lip and my mom would very gently but somewhat consistently say paul you're here but you're not here the scary thing is that uh (laughs) the same applies to pastors You know, like, it doesn't mean, I don't get a pass on this, and quite frankly, like, it's so far down in my bones to want to be an achiever and to want to be respected. And it has been a training process to learn how to engage Sabbath properly, actually to rest, because I can be right here in this thing where my kids are playing all around me. We're here, but I'm not here because the truth is that I'm worshiping at a different altar, believing that my work, if if you set your gaze on it, if I can lay a hold of these finances or this arrival, this achievement, that is what's going to deliver. And it says, as soon as you set your eyes on it, it gains wings and off it goes. It will never be captured by you. And by it, I mean enough. It will never be enough. And so the question is, can you turn it off? We need to be the sorts of people that are diligent but not overworked, industrious but not panting with exhaustion. You see, how to wisely acquire wealth? Patient, not hasty. Diligent, not overworking. One final note is this, honest, not deceptive or violent. Look at these verses. It says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man but afterwards his mouth is full of gravel. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. It's a snare of death. It goes on to say, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Then it notes that a gracious woman gets honor, but a violent man gets riches. Once again, these are just truisms. He's saying this is kind of the way the world works if you pay attention. And in these Proverbs, what you're realizing is that wealth can be gained by deceit or by a lying tongue or by violence. And we don't don't need to multiply examples to recognize that's true, that here's Solomon at the time, the wealthiest man on the planet, just surveying the landscape. He's going, yeah, this is basically the way that it works. I think when we take these Proverbs as a composite, what we begin to realize is this. Your life is a a multi-variable equation, right? There's a lot of variables that are in play. You've got relationships at home and with friends. That might be spouse and children or or, um, those that live with you, your roommates. You've got friends. You've got relationships at work. You've got responsibilities at work and in different groups that you're a part of, the local church that you're participating in. You've got the purpose of your life that you're trying to keep in the, the calling on your life and career goals. And then you've got the bottom line r- that runs financially, kind of as a true line through all of those things. And, and the question is, when you're working this multivariable equation, if you begin to balance that equation for one variable, this thing's gonna get way out of whack really quickly. That's what these Proverbs are saying. Because you can expand your bottom line by being deceptive or lying or being aggressive and violent. If you're always balancing the equation purely for your financial bottom line, you can do it. He's going, you'll expand it. You'll get your mouth full of bread and it's real sweet on the front end. But what you'll find out on the back end is this. It just tastes like a mouthful of gravel. You'll start to go, why is everything else so out of whack? Why do my wife and I not want to sleep in the same bed? Why do my kids not want to invite me over on thanksgiving why does the neighbor or the co-worker just roll their eyes when they see me coming when we start to be a person that has become so hyper focused on our finances that everything has begun to be bent around it life starts to come undone you see if it's deception or violence that is informing our acquisition of wealth we're, we're in tremendous danger so what would the people closest to you say about your acquisition of wealth would they say this person is so full of integrity they're so gracious that the dollars entrusted them in the way that they acquire them it's really about the good of others i was sitting with a friend Uh, A little while back, that had started a business, and he was just becoming present to some things that he was repenting of. Namely, that he had started to grow and scale a business, but he had done so with employees that he was not giving proper benefits to. And he was leveraging some of the outcomes for some real pleasure towards himself. And he was wrestling with why is the culture in my office so bitter? And as I was just asking questions gently and listening, and I was like, so what's going on with them? What's going on? And they see you doing these things, and it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you ever think that maybe they just feel used? Like maybe they feel like cogs in a wheel that exist to produce your pleasure? You see, it may not be outward violence. It might not be plundering but the truth is that we can carry a violence in our hearts that shows up in the workplace because those around us are just being bent for our bottom line. And what the proverb says is that sort of income is ultimately quite faulty. It is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. So friends, how are we doing with the acquisition of wealth? Diligent, patient, honest? Is it just handful by handful in the way that we acquire and interact with our wealth? You see, the Proverbs have a lot to say about how we acquire wealth. But that's not where they stop. Before we're done, what I'd like to also do is examine how do we relate to the wealth once it's acquired? Whatever dollars we're stewarding today, how do we relate to them? What is your relationship with your dollars? Just two simple notes on this. The first is this. You ought to be giving attention to the wealth that you've been entrusted, but not love it. You need to give attention to it, but not love it. Let me see if I can prove that to you from the text. Look at chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. It says this, "'Know well the condition of your flocks "'and give attention to your herds, "'for riches do not last forever.'" And does a crown endure to all generations? Um, He goes on to say in chapter 24, verse 3 and 4, by wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And we'll go ahead and look at chapter 21 as well. It says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Precious treasure and oil in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. You see, he's painting a picture on two ends of the spectrum. One is giving wise attention to what you've been entrusted. Did you hear it there? Know well what's going on with your flocks and your herds. So in an agrarian culture, this is the addressing of his portfolio. He's going, you better understand what's going on with all the dollars you've been entrusted if you're going to operate in wisdom. Whether it's a very small amount or a very large amount, he's going, do you know where it is and what's going on with it? Um... It's interesting where he says, uh, give attention to your herds. In the Hebrew, it literally is put your heart on your herds, which feels like a, almost going so far where it makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not supposed to love money. But what the wisdom of the Proverbs knows is, no, he's not asking us to love it. He's going, but have you paid attention to it and recognized that this is a meaningful resource entrusted to you by God? Living without a budget and without any plan for your dollars is unwise and, dare I say, ungodly. It's not a healthy way to live according to the scriptures. Closing your eyes and swiping hopes that it's all going to pan out, It's a dangerous place to be. I worked at uh, the Polo factory store when I was in college, and uh, I remember I was working the front register. And a guy came up with a pile of clothes. He had two leather jackets and all of these clothes. And he whew, he laid them up there and I'm ringing them up. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I ring it all up and he opened up his wallet and he had like 12 or 13 credit cards. And he was looking and he looked at me and I could tell he was like really anxious, little beads of sweat on his forehead. And he went, ah, try this one. I tried it. I was like, sorry, not that one. <laughs> that one was declined, sir. Okay, try this one. I swiped it, Uh, no, not that way. He said, okay, can we do this a different way? Can you take all of these off and swipe this one? And then we'll ring these one up and you can swipe this one. And everything in me wanted to say, no, I will not do that. (laughs) You don't need one leather jacket, you don't need two leather jackets, you don't need any of this, please, please don't do this. Which I don't think my manager would have appreciated, so I just was like, sure, we will ring them up separately. When we begin to live in this way where there's no plan and we're just closing our eyes and swiping and going, I just hope it all works out. I don't want to look under the hood to pay attention. This is not a godly approach. And I find that sometimes those that are growing in affection for God and don't want to love the things of the world and don't want to be bamboozled by the Babylonian spirit think, well, I don't love money. I don't even think about it. I don't even care about money. To which God would go, well, let's talk about that. You need to pay attention. You need to be aware. You need to actually have a plan. If you're carrying debt right now, you need to generate a plan to knock it out and knock it out quickly. You need to know about a retirement plan. If your business provides a retirement plan and there's tax-free dollars on the table, you should figure out how to make sure that's making its way into your retirement account. And you're making the most of that. That's wise stewardship. If you have children, you should be thinking about an Arizona 529 plan to save for their college fund if you're interested in that sort of thing. You need to have a plan. That's just wise. And it's not godly to say, well, I'm not concerned with that. So that's one end of the spectrum. But then did you hear it? He says the fool devours and loves the luxury. You won't find oil and wine in the fool's house because as soon as they get it, they gobble it up. And they go, I want more of that. It's not that they're managing it. They're setting their heart on it, not in the way of, I want to be wise and make sure I've got a game plan. They're setting their heart on it of, I want to devour it as quickly and as much as possible. The recent article in Sports Illustrated came out about four or five years ago that that estimated that 80% of NFL players are broke within three years of, of being out of the league. And the struggle is because oftentimes it's young men that haven't been equipped or trained how to manage it and they're just given lots and lots of it and where there's not a wise plan this is actually a devastating equation we need to learn to give attention to while not loving what's been entrusted to us a second and final note about how to relate to our money we must maintain a selfless rather than a selfish posture i'm not going to read all of the references there there's there's five or six of them, I can make them available to you. But for the sake of time, let me, let me just summarize um, saying this that what you see in the Proverbs is a posturing of the wealth for the good of others. That, that chapter 27 verses build to this place where it says your family will have all that they need and your girls will be cared for. The, the term for girls means the milkmaids. The reason you know what's going on in your flocks is so that everyone in your system can flourish, not so you can devour more. Or later it says that the the wise man or the godly man actually leaves an inheritance for his children's children, planning for those that will come after you. That the, the wise acquisition and management of resources is for others. And as soon as it gets turned in on self, we're in a dangerous position. It actually is supposed to be about tending to others. So I want to say all that and I want to just invite us to ask this question. How is it that we can begin to become wise as it relates to our money? We're just starting on a journey that will lead us through this month. And what we've talked about today is wisely acquiring and relating to our dollars. Wisely acquired money is patient and diligent and honest. Wise relationship to our money is giving attention to it, but doing so selflessly and without loving it. What is it that's going to allow your hearts to begin to interact with your dollars in that way? Friends, as you have heard week in and week out from this pulpit, our only hope in being the sort of men and women that God has called us to be is bound up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you begin to realize that the affection of God has been set on you and that you were purchased at a great price, That you have tremendous value to god that jesus was willing to shed his own blood to make you his own and in ephesians 2 what we learn is this that you are already in the past tense from a spiritual sense situated in the heavenlies being covered over with god's kingdom riches forever and ever what this means is that a thousand years from now and 100,000 years from now, and a billion years from now, every one of your needs will be perfectly and creatively and joyfully met by the God that owns everything in the cosmos. This is your identity if you're in Jesus. Which incidentally, when you begin to realize that you have been purchased and cherished and situated in that way, your heart is finally free to go, I don't have to hasten towards anything. I can be patient. I don't have to deceive or to be violent or bend in on myself. I'm actually free to, to be able to pray Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I want for nothing. My heart is free in his presence. And as a result, what's entrusted to me, I don't have to gobble up or cling on to. I can posture for the good of others. I can set my attention on it and it won't cause my heart to love it because I am already situated in eternal riches forever in Christ Jesus. Friend, if you have not come to know and to love and delight in God's love for you in Jesus, you're going to tell your story by some other means. And the Babylonian spirit is gonna thrust on you this this narrative that sex and money are where you're going to be satisfied and whole. And if you buy that narrative, you are going to run yourself ragged, panting and exhaustion. You may have amassed a great deal and what you will realize is it doesn't satisfy, it's never enough. There you are sitting going, oh, how do I get more? And Jesus, in the midst of it all, is saying, friend, come to me. Find your relief, your eternal, full satisfaction. I have delivered to you eternal riches forever. You can rest. You can steward what you have for others flourishing because you're cared for. You're tended to. Bound up in the gospel is the power that will enable you to be the sort of person that wisely acquires and wisely relates to every dollar entrusted to you. Let's go on this journey together in hopes that we will be delivered from the Babylonian spirit and live as faithful, fruitful, joyful exiles to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. So God, we repent, I repent in this moment There are many days where my time and attention and thoughts reveal that I love money more than I love you. Please, forgive me. Thank you that in Jesus, forgiveness is available. Not only is that deadening to my soul, but it's just foolish. If we just survey the landscape of the world, what we see is that money does not satisfy. Often it is the wealthiest that are least satisfied. I pray, God, that we would not buy the lies that are sold to us day in and day out, but that we would be a people that savor the good news of the gospel and find that our hearts are finally free. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would be wise in their acquisition of wealth, wise in their relationship to wealth, and that they ultimately would be hearts that are free in Jesus. We beg it today, by your power, for your glory. Amen.